0: You'll come with me to 1 Kings chapter 11. Solomon, even looking from a historical context, did great things in his kingship. Think about the way that he expanded the borders of Israel. He built extravagant and amazing structures, including the temple with which the people would come to be in the presence of God and worship God. He shared heavenly wisdom with the people, so much so that even the Queen of Sheba traveled over a thousand miles. And as the scriptures relate, it wasn't just what she heard, but also what she saw put on the display, the wisdom of God. Solomon did amazing things. And he set Israel up and gave them a long-term opportunity from which to stand on to have fellowship and worship God. But we know that he also made some mistakes. And not just Solomon, but then his son Rehoboam made some mistakes so if you look with me beginning in chapter 11, beginning at verse 4, it's almost inconceivable what Solomon did at this point in his life in these later years because he sought to still believe in God and have a relationship with God while also appeasing his wives and allowing them and himself becoming involved in the idol worship. And this, of course, greatly displeased God. Then if you carry with me to verses 31 and following, we see that God, because of this, selected Jeroboam and told him that he would give him ten tribes based upon this condition. In verse 38, the condition being that Jeroboam would follow and do the will of God. Now, verse 40, Solomon hears of this, and he's displeased of the news and seeks to kill Jeroboam. Now, if you'll come with me into chapter 12, this is where Rehoboam, Solomon's son, comes into the picture as far as uh, his plans. And Jeroboam comes back and actually seeks to make peace, saying that you know, the northern kingdom will come under your rule or under your guidance and leadership you know, if you'll lighten the yoke of your father. And so if you remember, he goes to the elders and seeks counsel. And the t- council of the elders told them to lighten the burden. But then he also goes and seeks the counsel of his friends and those of his peers. And they told him to make the burden heavier. And Rehoboam, unfortunately, listened to his young friends and not the wise counsel of the elders. And so the division uh, was made. In fact, even though God had determined the division by Rehoboam's decision here to listen to his young friends, the division was, of course, put into action. And Jeroboam and the people would not come under the rule and under the leadership of Rehoboam. And so that was a colossal mistake by Rehoboam. And then as we come into verse 26 and 27 of chapter 12, we see that an occurrence came to Jeroboam, right? And so he's thinking about this situation, and he's worried that if the people of these ten tribes in the north go back to Jerusalem for the festivals, and especially the Day of Atonement where everybody would be together together, then they're likely to come back under the leadership of Rehoboam, and then he'll probably be killed. So out of self-preservation. So not thinking about God and what's God's plan and what's God's will and what's best for the people, but uh, what's best for me? What will preserve my life? He told them, is it too much for you to go up to Jerusalem? And then you see the idea as it comes forth from him. And these are the things that he determined. Jeroboam's plan, not God's obviously, but he would set up two cities so that when they have a desire to make offerings, they'd have the convenience of either going to the city of the south, Bethel, or the city of the northern part of the northern kingdom, Dan, and they can make their offerings. But of course, this would not be Jerusalem. And then, number two, they would set up high places all over the northern kingdom so that they would have convenience. They'd have a place to go and, and worship that was close to home. And then instead of just being Levites that would do the work of the temple and helping the people worship God, that other people outside the Levites, well, they could be priests. I mean, they could do that job. And then, fourthly, that we would still believe God, but we would make these offerings to Two golden calves, you know, that would be here and represent what God has done for us and the God that we know and still believe in. And then finally, that we would still have a huge feast, just like Jerusalem. It would just be a a month later and the altar and the priest and deliver and, I mean, just some differences. But still a huge feast, just like Jerusalem. And unfortunately, the people, they bought into this. And they followed the sinful actions and what became a sinful man in Jeroboam. And it turned them away from Jerusalem and all that was true in Jerusalem. And they became idol worshipers. And what we see in 1 Kings 14 is God's response. God was furious, of course, with Jeroboam and placed a judgment upon him that not only would he be wiped out, but his whole household. And that Israel, because they have chosen to follow him and follow in his plan that they would suffer as well uh, in their time. And of course from this story there is much to discuss. We can look to what was the beginning of all this which of course was the sins of Solomon but then we could also look at the sins of Rehoboam and causing or being a part of causing the permanent division at this point. Uh, We could of course look at Jeroboam. When you think about the sinfulness of Jeroboam and his selfishness I don't know that there's another in all of scriptures that matches the magnitude of Jeroboam's selfishness and sinfulness. But what we're going to do is focus on the people. For what the people did was they believed a man. They allowed themselves to be pulled away from God's plan, God's word, and what they knew to be pleasing to God, and they trusted in a man. They succumbed to convenience. It would be a less travel, an easier burden. So, yeah, perhaps God will will be equally pleased, or at least pleased, or at least God will be okay with this, right? Because it's more convenient. They embrace new roles and leadership, new. Although God is the same, and what he has revealed has been the same, they embrace new roles and new leadership and then they wagered their souls. They put that which was his most valuable on the line to suppose that God would be okay with these changes. Just as long as that they still believed in him. We still didn't believe that God is God. But you know these changes, these are, these are good changes. Surely God would accept these things. Which leads us and, and begs the question, you know, how could they know if this was acceptable or not? And that's a great question. It's a great question at all times. And of course, it's a great question today. How can we know that what we are doing is right? How can we know that what we are doing is acceptable to God? And that's why I would say we have to. We've got to go back to Jerusalem. That's the only way to know that what we are doing is right. And so, of course, there were things that were beyond their understanding, such as God orchestrating the division and so forth. But if they had gone back to what they knew that God had approved and lived in that, then they would have known that God always would have been in approval of them. And so they did have a correct choice, a right way. And of course, they didn't follow it. Now, I know as you're hearing this, you're, you're probably thinking that there's much in common with the things that are around us in today's world. And of course, we have it confirmed to us all the time that there is nothing new under the sun. So as we think about the religious climate today, uh, the coexistence that's declared by our culture and uh, the atmosphere of tolerance that's demanded by our culture, and we think about what's common when people want to start new denominations or these new age movements that come about, there's always a story, right? There's always reasoning. But this reasoning and these stories, there's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. And if we can learn the mistakes of Jeroboam and Rehoboam and Solomon, and then we have the wisdom to imprint them upon ourselves and look at the problems that are before us today, then we can speak truth and wisdom and we can help the world around us. We can bear fruit for God's kingdom in this manner. But just think, these are some of the things that come about when we see these things that are characteristic of today. Usually there's a problem within a church, someone sinning and so forth, so we'll go and we'll start a a new work. And then usually coming from that, somebody will get a new idea or a better idea that will draw more people. And that's just one avenue in which we start to drift or can drift or we've seen people drift from what God has revealed, God's plan which as we talked about last week, God's plan may be different, but it's better and it works and it's the only plan that works. And then lastly, there's this tendency to be a combination of humanism, which is idolatry, and then what God has revealed, right? Like the buffet, right? We just pick and choose. Yes, we still believe you, God. We believe in you, God. And here we have the Bible and we follow these things, but this is a great idea for our modern generation. For this current culture, this society, this idea, if we use this, then, and then fill in the blank, so forth and so on. But all of it is a departure, right? 99% obedience is 100% disobedience. And we have to know that. And so come with me as we consider going back to Jerusalem. Here are the questions that we have to ask ourselves. How do I know if I'm right here? How do we know if our church is right before God? How do I know if what I am teaching and what we are practicing is holy? Is It's is acceptable before God. What well, we can know. And for them, they had to go back to the city of Jerusalem, literally where the temple where it was, where the truth and where true worship was and the spirit was. But for us, it means going back to Acts chapter 1 through 15. And there's a lot of wonderful, timeless, absolute truths when you come back into Acts. And if you'll go ahead and come with me to the book, Acts chapter 1, we will go there. But this morning, we're just going to look at three of these wonderful, timeless, absolute truths. And I take us here this morning because I want us to be firm and steadfast as we walk about all the schemes of Satan in this life. And people would speak about these ideas and all of this such. But I don't want us to be fooled. I don't want self-preservation or anything else to pull us from what God has revealed and God's way. And so the first thing is that inspiration must be miraculously proven. It can't come from some man and some new or, or supposedly great idea. If you look in Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 4, it says, And while staying with them, he ordered them. Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The gospel, the pattern that saves souls, it all started in Jerusalem. The power came down on from high, just like it was pronounced that it would upon the apostles and it started in Jerusalem as we know in Acts chapter 2 is the keys of the kingdom that had been given to Peter and he preached the sermon and the kingdom was opened and then from Jerusalem it extended forth but it was preached and it was demonstrated in power through miraculous hands and speech. And if we're going to determine what it is that we're going to do in worship or how we're going to live our lives or if there be any issue, as we'll consider later, we have to go back to what was miraculously proven. If you'll come to me in in Acts chapter 2 or with me in Acts chapter 2 considering Peter's sermon here at Pentecost as he helps these Jews understand that it was them that crucified Jesus on the cross, God's Son, and they are indeed You know, in separation with God the Father, then He helps them and many of them, as they come to that realization, ask the question, what they should do? And of course, upon that, He tells them that they must repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins and that they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Which leads me unto this second wonderful and absolute truth that's timeless and that we must keep on our lips as we go about proclaiming and preaching Jesus that salvation is through repentance and baptism. If you look at the end of the Gospels, particularly in Mark, and uh, going back to Matthew as well, in Mark it starts in chapter 16, verse 15, as Jesus speaking to the disciples, tells them to go into all the world and proclaim the Gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. You know, will we trust in those words or when Jesus and Matthew, as it was related, in order to make disciples of all nations, that they would baptize them. Will we trust in those words or will we look into a man or a modern teaching or when we let someone talk to us about, no, we're saved by grace and try to take a message down that path, when they fail to understand that we receive God's mercy and his grace and forgiveness by what the Scriptures have pertained to us in regard to repentance and baptism. And even going beyond the Gospels, as we know, and the children had studied here recently, in Acts chapter 8, we know that the apostles, with that miraculous power through the Holy Spirit that had been given to them, it took this message and it extended outside of Jerusalem, but proven miraculously. And like I said, the children, as they studied it last week, Philip With that Ethiopian eunuch in that chariot, listening to the eunuch's question and Isaiah, you know, who is this? And he began to preach Jesus to him. And then, of course, as they went along the path and the eunuch saw water, asked that water, what prevents me from being baptized? Well, of course, the eunuch understood, based upon the preaching of Jesus, that he needed to be baptized, if he wanted to be saved, if he wanted to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, will we let the scriptures, will we let what God revealed rest upon our heart, Or will we let the popular teachings of the day come into our mind and push God's way out of our heart? Well, obviously we know what we need to do, but when matters of self-preservation or other circumstantial things that have a tendency To pull men away. When those things come, will we stand firm? Will we come back to what God has revealed? And His way. And stubbornly stand upon that. Instead of doing what is easy or seeking to please men. And then as we continue even outside, you can look at the story of Saul. I mean one that was directly opposed to the church. And killing those that were trying to do the will of God through Jesus. We saw that even him... That he had to be baptized. Acts chapter 22, verse 16. If he wanted forgiveness of sins, it was going to come only through his baptism. And all the conversions that we read about in the book of Acts, we see that they are baptized. So we we would never question that as long as we keep our mind fixated on what God has revealed. So when someone outside would would question repentance, we'd say that's foolishness. That's an idea of today. That's not God's way. Let me show you God's way. You're going to have to turn from your sinfulness. You can't live as you want to live and think that you're going to be in the kingdom of God. If you want to be in the kingdom of God, you're going to have to live his way. You're going to have to turn from sinfulness and walk in obedience to Jesus Christ. If you want forgiveness of sins, you're not going to be able to do it your way. You're going to have to do it his way. And the only way is to die with Jesus Christ in a watery grave so that God can give you forgiveness so that you can be raised by God's power. Not man, because man has no power. We are limited and fragile. We have only that which God would supply us. So only He can raise us from that watery grave and give us forgiveness and allow us His mercy, His grace. The grace of God does not come by modern speakers or by man just because they have some type of eloquent speech or some idea that says, no, you're not saved upon baptism. You're saved by God's grace. Do it this way. We have to be able to stand firm on what God has revealed. And in the the opposite stubbornness of Israel, in their disobedience, we must be stubborn in obedience and continually walk in the ways of God. Salvation comes through repentance and baptism. (laughs) Even get outside and go into the writings of Peter, and he paints this analogy for us, as in the old world, coming to the new world, passed through water, right? Noah's Ark, and it was saved or preserved. We, as we pass through water, baptism doth now save you, right? Or in Colossians chapter 2, in making the comparison, That the Jews would need to be circumcised to be a part of God's chosen people. That we too, if we want to be a part of God's chosen people, that we would perform or God would perform through Jesus the circumcision made without hands. So it's foolishness to think that we could be a part of his chosen people in any other way than the way that he has determined and revealed to us. And the third absolute and wonderful, timeless truth that I want to take us to. And the thing that helps us stay united in Christ is the pattern that He has given to us in Acts chapter 15. If you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 15. We can know the one truth. It can be understood. It can be harmonized. But only if we're willing to follow this pattern. We see that there was a problem here in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. It said, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, quote, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved, End quote. Man, that is a heavy claim. You know, what are we going to do to determine God's will on the matter? And that's the first thing, that that would be our goal. We need to determine What is God's will on the matter? Notice with Jeroboam and his plan, God wasn't even thought of. This is not about God. This is about me and my self-preservation. But of course, for us, it's always about God. When we come here this morning to worship, he's the object of our worship. It's about him. And so the solution in dealing with this claim has got to be about what is God's will. Now, in verses 2 through 6, we see the solution. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So let's, let's all come together, right? Let's discuss this. Let's debate as we'll see as it says. Verse 3, so being sent on their way by the church... They passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought a great joy to all the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders and declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, and here we go, here's the claim again, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles... And the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So they all come together. And then we see in verse 7 that there was much debate. But Peter relates to them his experience in Acts chapter 10. So let me tell you what God has revealed in this particular circumstance and what I was able to understand that God had revealed. And then Paul and Barnabas as well relate their experiences. And look as it says in verse 8, "...and God who knows the heart... Uh, "...made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith." Look what we saw that God did and the evidence that it was God that did it, that evidence being the power, right? Only that God could do these things, And then as Paul and Barnabas related in verse 12, they said they related to him what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So again, relating their experience of what God had done, what God had revealed, and what was proven to be done by power through God. Verse 16 and 17, they point back to the Old Testament Scriptures, to what the prophet Amos had said. And through this working, this solution from the people, not only did they discern these things from God's perspective and what God had revealed, they also used what we now, of course, follow in a pattern of looking at the example and then also making necessary necessary inference based on what God had revealed and their experiences that were proven by power. So even absent of direct command, they were able to come together together and use the things that God had revealed and had shown and proven by power and come to a conclusion that they could harmonize and that they could follow and be united. And that's the point here. So even in today, we of course coming back to Acts, those of Israel having to go back to Jerusalem, if we want to know that what we are doing, what we're teaching and what we're practicing is approved by God, that God accepts it and that He's pleased by it, If there be any issue, music, funds, works of the church, whatever it may be, we have to follow that same pattern. We can't read some book of the day written by some man and some pattern that he's come up with and think that that's going to lead us into what is right. And we certainly can't let any agenda that is selfish or of self-preservation lead us to a new way or a pattern or as we talk about and hear the ideas of our co-workers and how they might try to solve their issues in their denominational bodies or or in our places of work, we can't allow that to pull us away from what has been truth for centuries and the only way that works and will ever work. We must be stubborn and obstinate in the truth and be willing to speak it so those ears that are Ignorant have a chance to hear the wisdom of God. And just as we learn from Isaiah, when God's word goes out, it does not come back void. It accomplishes its purpose. And all that God would send it out to do, it will be accomplished. The question becomes do we have confidence and faith in God that we would be ones that would go out and speak it and stand on it stubbornly? All that all around us might speak contrary to what God has revealed. And we know what God needs of us. <laughs> the more the people of the world try to go elsewhere and away from God, the more that he needs us to be faithful and strong and to look to him and stand on these absolute truths. So as we speak the word of God to those that may, we may go about in the world, we must send people back to Jerusalem. Do not be tempted to send them to the the modern, you know, humanism or to the modern wisdom or some book that was just released on the New York Times bestseller list. But boldly and courageously point them to the Bible. Open the Bible and teach and explain to them the truths that save God's way. The only way. Yes, it's different and you may not understand it right now. But if you work with me, you can come to appreciate why it's different, and you'll understand that it's better and that it works. That will only happen if God's people will go out and do that good work. And just like we talked about last time, we're not evangelizing wrongly if someone who is baptized abandons the faith later, right? Or someone who's baptized doesn't bear any fruit. The only way we're evangelizing wrongly is if we keep the Word of God, the seed in the satchel. God has called us to be crazy sowers, to go about casting the seed everywhere. And inevitably, when we cast the seed everywhere, we're going to come upon a lot of different circumstances and a lot of different ideas and people that are going to say such and such and such and such. And here comes the need to look at this example from Jeroboam and say, I'm not going to make that mistake. I'm going to walk in what has been revealed. I'm going to be stubborn on the Word of God. And it's not only going to deliver me and us, but there is good soil out there. There are people whose minds and hearts will readily receive the Word of God, and they will be saved too. If only we'll walk in it and speak it and everything that we'll do. This lesson is ours. I pray that we'll let it rest upon us heavy and And not cast it aside, but that we'll pray for courage and boldness and pray for God's help. And that we would bear fruit in his kingdom this day and every day. Let us go to him in prayer.